0: Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Welcome to the program. We are on the Friday side of a three-day weekend, holiday weekend. I know some of you had four- or five-day weekends. I, for one, am jealous of that. Uh, But I hope that you have, whatever time you have, are using it to, uh, you know, rest, recuperate, rejuvenate yourself, find a body of cold water to sit in, preferably, right, right? A kiddie pool, which is what I have in the backyard, uh, or a glass of water, whatever. Just uh, celebrate our nation's independence by recognizing the freedoms we have. And to the extent your brain can plot out how you can help us ensure that those freedoms continue to exist for future generations. Now I'm going to, I'm just giving uh, giving away the plan of the episode here. Uh, but joining me today is my co-host Bailey Perkins-Wright. Hello, Bailey. Hello, Andy. Welcome back. You've uh, been out of town the last couple of weeks. It's good to see you.
1: I have. I'm glad to be back on the pod.
0: Scott, uh, it's his turn to be out of town today. So it's just me and Bailey. Um, Scott will have to listen on his own and just, you know, with angst, missing out on some of this stuff. So um, this week, uh, we're going to talk about the primary election here in Oklahoma. Um, Who won? Who didn't? Uh, who we don't yet know, uh, who's going to run off, and how that shapes or potentially shapes the November election. Um, We'll also talk about some progress made at the federal level for food security that Bailey's going to share with us. That's important to know. Um, There's been some shakeups in state agency leadership, as always. The Senate has announced some interim studies. Uh, We'll just get into it. It's It's another week in Oklahoma politics and government. And um, we'll, maybe we'll start with just a brief mention, you know, earlier this week, we published a, I dare call it a a mini episode, but a a statement um, about the Supreme Court's decision on uh, the two cases that essentially overturn Roe versus Wade.
1: Well, frankly, on a lot of those (laughs) things. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's right.
0: And in uh, in a few weeks we don't have the date just yet, but in a few weeks we hope to have an episode with a couple of very intelligent and insightful attorneys to help us discuss all of the Supreme Court decisions that were well, not all of them. The the several of them that were the significant very, ones, yeah. Yeah, very significant this year. From that-
1: EPA regulation to Andy and I were just talking about impacts to reading Miranda rights, um, abortion law, all those kind of things. There's just so many things that this court has been very, very active on in such a short time. That's
0: right. Yeah, I, I think the term activist judges is just lawed, like it's used by whichever side is against how they were activating, right? Like, uh, and so, or a lot of these things you were decided on a six, three vote line, right. Which is essentially a partisan, uh, along partisan lines with the, with the court, which is a departure from how it's been for the last several years, maybe several decades, you know, usually you'd have really contentious votes on party lines, but most else was a little bit closer.
1: But Andy, I do want to mention some good news related to the courts that have happened. Um, As of yesterday, Kintaji Brown Jackson was confirmed as a Supreme Court Justice of the United States. She is the first Black woman to ever serve on the Supreme Court in our country's history. So, you know, we celebrate July 4th as Independence Day and typically recognize that as the time where what we know as America formed. And since then we had never had a black woman on the court. So as of yesterday, I believe, um, well, for sure this week, uh, she was sworn in and confirmed. Uh Justice Breyer, I think he he hit his peak time of um what he could tolerate and said, I think I'm ready to go. And I think Kintaji's ready. And so yeah. swearing and happened. And so that, you know, and and as a silver lining to everything that's going on, um, that did happen, so
0: yeah, yeah, it is interesting. I've seen you know several comments of like, you know, don't think we didn't notice all of these these decisions that they crammed through at the end of Breyer's term uh, before, um, before the new justice was sworn in. So it will be interesting to see how this molds and shapes the court moving forward. I believe she is only like the fifth or sixth woman period to be on the court um yes it's the numbers uh as far as like (laughs) reflecting what america looks like are staggering when it comes to the court and honestly most other government entities um congress is not much different as well proportionally speaking and certainly the presidency which has been you know a bunch of white men and one black man
1: right right (laughs) absolutely so um, and, and people talk about all the time, um, as we, you know, prepare transition into our conversation about elections, oh, you know, in the national election, my vote doesn't matter, but it really does because the votes that we take have long-term impacts. And one of the significant elements that we saw out of the 2016 election was, um, the passing of RGB, um, we saw um, the fact that the president had the ability to appoint two, I believe, three. Did he appoint two or three?
0: you got three. Yeah. He
1: got three Supreme Court seats to appoint. And having that opportunity to fill those positions with people who have the viewpoint that abortion is a state's right issue, that, you know, certain... EPA regulations, you know, should be overturned and all these other things are a direct result to what happened in 2016 and and prior elections. So it's just another reminder that everything is interconnected and our collective voices matter and the decisions we make, decisions or non-decisions that we make, so not showing up to vote was a decision that also leads to significant changes into Like our Supreme Court, for instance, that's going to be there probably for a long time. (laughs) It could be in the next 10 years. It could be generationally because those are lifetime appointments, right? And so we have to remember that those decisions matter, whether it's at our local level, whether it's at the federal level, right? We have to show up to ensure that our voices and our perspectives are heard.
0: Yeah, and even though the president uh, you know the presidency is not on the ballot this year in 2022, even in Oklahoma, both of our US senators are on the ballot. Yes. And you know, even for Supreme Court justices, the president appoints them but the Senate has to confirm them, and this is a direct way that we can have a say in who our senators are um and with the Senate being such a tight margin, right? Yes. Like a one vote majority um, who
1: we send there can make the difference of what type of legislation makes it through the process and what things get blocked or you know what things are considered what what the priority becomes right that yeah. all matters
0: you know one of my pet peeves bailey is is when um legislative bodies like the senate or congress or the state legislature don't vote on bills because they don't want you know the majority doesn't want their members to have to take a hard vote like right? they don't want to have to actually say if they support or don't support something. They don't want a record of it. And that seems, I don't know, I get that it is politically stri- strategic. It also seems cowardly, right? And I understand that they would rather be strategic than courageous, but it really gets under my skin. I just want people to, you know what, you're there to take a vote. That's your job, is to vote on these things. We should vote.
1: I mean, in, in the polling typically shows that, like, the people want a decision, Right. <laughs> Right, right. You know, they want to know where you stand, whether, you know, they agree with you or not. They do want to know where you stand on something. And so that that matters. So it is interesting how sometimes. In these political spaces. Politicians tie themselves in a box, right, with the perception of how is that going to affect me in polling or whatever, when the reality is a lot of people feel frustrated by the perception of inaction, Right. But yep. there aren't positions taken. There aren't, you know, hard votes that that are that are taken. And so, you know, all those things matter. And I mean, to the point of you know our conversation here of as a voter, right, as a person who lives in the state of Oklahoma, as a resident, you have an obligation to ask those questions. Right. Ask those folks who want your vote. How do they feel about the things that you care about? And don't let them give you a Mm non-answer because a non-answer is an answer in itself. (laughs) And you want people who are going to be able to stand for the things that you want need for your community. So we have to show up. Um, I know, Andy, as we transition to our conversation on um, what happened in our election cycle, because we just had an election this week on Tuesday, um, turnout was abysmal per usual.
0: Yeah, I mean, honestly, the numbers were exactly what we expected them to be which is to say bad, right? I mean, on so roughly, I don't know, 500, 450,000 or 500,000 people turned out. And
1: we have and more than is. 4 million people who live in Oklahoma,
0: right? Yeah. So in you know, to, to paint with a broad brush or to use round numbers, I guess in Oklahoma, there are roughly 3 million eligible voters, right? People of voting age. And then there are only 2 million who are actually registered And usually in like a general election, only 1 million show up. But here in this primary, only 500,000, right? So that's that's essentially one sixth, right? Like of the total number that are eligible and one fourth of those that are even registered. The turnout was not the same for both parties. Uh, If you look in the numbers, Republicans turned out at about 30% turnout. And then Democrats and independents together, um, because independents are allowed to vote in the Democratic primary, the Democratic Party in Oklahoma allows independents to vote in their primaries. And so those numbers are all kind of blurred together. Uh, Anyway, only about 15% of them. And that is just very low. Now, there's a few reasons for this, aside from... You know people's I don't know general apathy towards voting and their their feelings about it. I think what we've also seen is that there were more races on the Republican side than the Democratic side on the ballot, right? And many of them were more contentious. For example, you know the race for um, to replace Jim Inhofe's Senate seat, right? There was only one Democrat in that race, Kendra Horn. She didn't have a primary. It's just her. So it's not like that race was driving Democrats to turn out. On the other side, though, Republicans, they had like 14 candidates, right? So there was a lot of interest there. And what we typically see is that those, we'll say, statewide races, things like governor, Senate, even congressional races, the higher up on the ballot, those top of the ticket, as they say, those races tend to, to drive more turnout. And you can look and see how many people voted in each race, and it decreases the further down the page you go. So those last things, like here in Oklahoma County, we had a, a, a bond question about a new jail that was, you know, those kind of questions are always the last thing, and it was pretty low. You know, it was like almost a hundred thousand people lower voted for that than the top of the ticket in the on the Democratic and independent side. So you you see um, that roll off there.
1: And and another part of that is, you know, when it comes to visibility of elections, the higher up you are on the ballot, the more money is spent on that. Right. For our um, U.S. Senate races, for instance, um, there's millions of dollars poured into those elections and. People can't turn the channel <laughs> without seeing a commercial, hearing a radio ad, you know, you're watching Netflix and you see, you know, a commercial for, you know, one of the, the candidates who are vying. Are so especially in those federal races or those statewide races, there is more visibility. So um, that typically leads to more people showing up. And sometimes those, as Andy said, those down ballot races, or even like those local ballot measures they don't have typically the same amount of funding or even time for that matter um of promoting those candidates or those issues so yeah
0: Yeah, i mean uh i so i saw the other day that already no excuse excuse me in the month of june for this primary there were 10 million dollars spent on independent expenditures right so not by the candidates campaigns but by third party organizations in support or in opposition to candidates 10 million dollars this month alone to put that in in comparison when governor stitt ran for governor the first time right 4 years ago he put in about 10 million dollars of his money to, for, which was the bulk of the money he raised for for his campaign so just in one month right that's a big chunk of money and there was a lot of a lot of outside money flowing in to be in support and in opposition to candidates here and sometimes it was a little bit surprising and we don't quite have time to get into who gave what money where but maybe uh bailey let's run through and discuss a couple of these races just because they will shape what happens in november right so yeah
1: well and i have a few general stats that um uh, thanks to um a firm that that i work with they shared a few just shorthand facts that Um, there were 11 candidates who will move on to face a runoff, um, on August 23rd. Um, and I want to say that's like state level and in federal, so not necessarily like any judicial candidates or anything like that.
0: But no people like the labor commissioner, like Leslie Osborne's the incumbent, she has a runoff. Exactly. Um, Yeah. Those kinds of races.
1: Yeah, and even with um, Congressional District 2, for instance, I'd love to to dig into that a little bit. I mean, you had people who got like 15 and 13% of the vote who were moving on to the runoff, right? But that's what happens when the race is saturated. So um, there were 28 um, uncontested seats. So those are people who won their primaries. Um, and will not require a general election, meaning that there wasn't somebody in the opposing party running. So whoever won in that primary is the candidate, right? That who that's going to be the person who's going to be in that role. Um, and then there were 21 candidates who won their primary and will move to the November 8th general election ballot. So we can dig into, you know, who some of those folks are.
0: Yeah, interesting. Um, so, you know, just off the off the top, we know Governor Stitt won his uh, his primary contest. So 69% be, of the vote. Yeah. So, you know, probably not as high as people thought, but he he will advance on to the general election. So he's the Republican nominee on the Democratic side. Joy Hoffmeister won. So it'll be Stitt versus Hoffmeister versus... And
1: Hoffmeister got about a little over 60% of the vote as well. Mm -hmm. So they both were in the sixties.
0: And so they'll face, um, Natalie Bruno who's a libertarian (laughs) candidate. And then, um, uh, there's at least one independent, um, Irvin Yen is independent and running. So, so So there will be
1: four people on your ballot for governor in November.
0: Yeah. Um, state auditor, Cindy bird won her nomination. Um, And then let's talk about this for a minute this was perhaps the most discussed race of the night ag attorney general john o'connor so this is
1: this is an example of like just because you're an incumbent doesn't mean that it's guaranteed and although that um attorney general john o'connor is not a traditional incumbent meaning that he was appointed to fill a vacancy by the governor until the next election happens um it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed right um, there's been a lot of concern and criticism of him since he was um nominated to be our AG, including, I mean, Andy, we, we talked about on, on previous podcasts of you know the American Bar Association <laughs> coming out um raising concerns about uh his legitimacy as um the best person for AG. And so it is a big deal that um Gittner Drummond was able to squeak by, by like, and this is again, when we talk about why every vote counts, he won by just a little over 6,000 votes, right? So he, and and in a large race that has, you know, three, 400,000 people participating in it, 6,000 is just like a few people more showed up to vote for Drummond than O'Connor, right? Yeah. So it's so important that we sh- we show up and in in and, and vote in all the races.
0: You know, what I think is uh interesting to um well, one that Drummond barely lost in 2018. So when he ran previously, against he lost my country. by only mm-hmm. 271 votes. So he so he joked that um you know, for a guy who lost by 271 votes, you know, six thousand votes is a is a veritable landslide for him this time. But his statements, Bailey, I don't know if you did you see this in uh, at his victory party watch party in Tulsa. No. He said so. Gittner Drummond said, "quote I was running against the governor and his appointee. I think what that's what tonight's vote illustrates is that a majority of people want transparency and accountability. They want honesty and integrity." People are sick of scandal and corruption. And I was just like, wow, that's a strong statement for one for a winner. Um, Usually it's, there's there's some graciousness often, but then like kind of a thanks volunteers and Kumbaya, we're going to do this. But he was just like, bam, I ran because I ran against the governor and his appointee. And I think it's from what I've heard, it's a pretty well-known deal that Drummond, is not a fan of governor stitt and now i mean he is the he's the presumed attorney general i think he's got um maybe a libertarian opponent mm-hmm. I mean, he's gonna go yes. through november but uh, it's expected that he'll win and for him to come out so strongly against the governor already sets up a very different dynamic than yes. we've had for the last however many months that john o'connor has been there
1: because john where- o'connor has been basically like a ally or extension of the governor's office as an appointee. Yes. And now we'll have potentially a contentious relationship between now the AG's office and the governor's office. And then you have, you know, the state auditor who I won't say has been, you know, any type of adversarial to the governor's office, anybody, she's just doing her job of investigating the things and doing the audits. Right. Um, I, I do wonder, should um, governor stent um, when in November, what that dynamic is going to look like over the next four years.
0: Yeah, I do too. And I, I'll be honest, this is the piece of Oklahoma politics that I enjoy. I know we make jokes about the fact that we elect so many different positions, right? But I like that. I like when you see candidates that recognize that they are accountable, not to a higher office, but to the people, right? Like Gettner Drummond understands that he, hopefully he understands that he is Accountable to the voters. Cindy Bird is accountable to the voters. Governor Stitt is accountable to the voters.
1: And because they're independently elected, they can hold each other accountable, right? Yeah, I think right. that is the beauty of how Oklahoma has designed its election system of each of the statewide offices.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, a lot of, uh, it's like a, a checks and balance, even in the executive branch there. So and I think that's a good thing. That's me. Um, another race that received a lot of attention that is also going to a runoff is the the Republican uh race for superintendent of public instruction. The you know, this seat is currently held by Joy Hoffmeister, who is terming out. Um, she's term-limited, so she's running for governor. And Governor Stitts uh, education secretary, Ryan Walters, is the probably the big name in the race. But because he did not get 50% or 51%, he goes to a runoff against uh, April Grace. She-
1: and April Grace is a superintendent of Shawnee Public Schools Yeah, um, who is is known as a level-headed leader. Uh, she has a lot of respect from um, her colleagues who are state superintendents and other educators. Um, and so what I think will be most interesting is to see, because John Cox, Received about 25% of the vote, and he holds a pretty strong hold for many educators. So, who will John Cox voters go to? And I have a hunch that they will throw their support behind April Grace. Um, You know, no doubt that this is going to be another tight race, right? It's not, there's not going to be probably a landslide in what happens in November, Um, but it'll be a numbers game of you know, whether educators and teachers who have had, you know, frustration or concern with Ryan Walters and the different comments that he's made and the stances that he's taken and the letters that he's written, you know, to different school districts, are they going to mobilize and support essentially one of their own, right? Um, So we'll see. Um, I'm interested to see what happens in that race as well.
0: I am too. It's going to be a close race. I think you're right. Um, Senator Langford handily won his um, his reelection bid for the the Republican nomination, and this is worth noting because he, I mean, he really beat the pants off of Jackson LeMayer, who was a far right challenger, uh, and and about the same margin as Governor Stitt beat uh, his far right challenger Mark Sherwood, and so I think we've seen a bit of a rejection of this. I don't know if it's a rejection of this far right rhetoric or if it's just incumbent. Um, you know privilege of, of taking it I don't off. think
1: so Andy I think what I I would say it's it's the first right it's mm-hmm. it's there are a lot of loud voices but they are not as um widespread as we would believe right um it's kind of like social media you know you read the 15 to 20 people in the comment section but they don't represent all four million Oklahomans right, right. um and I think there really is this Um, let's get our house in order kind of um, filling among Republicans in Oklahoma, because even um, uh, the former um, state party chair, John Bennett, fared terribly in the congressional district two race, right? I mean, he wasn't even in the top five. (laughs) And Mm. so um, I think there really is this rejection of the far, far right, that is is happening. Especially, I mean, typically incumbents, you know, they'll campaign, but they're not typically worried about whether or not they'll be reelected. But I think Senator Lankford took this race seriously, right? And he yeah. was using further right rhetoric than he had in the past in this race because of how much what it appeared to be momentum and traction that Lehmeyer was getting. Mm -hmm. And when it came down to it, of who showed up to the polls, it did not translate as, you know, what the appearance was. And so I think that is, um, a good sign that more Oklahomans want to see rationality (laughs) more so than extremism.
0: Yeah. We, um, i would be I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge that uh, there was a third well a second challenger, a third candidate in that race against Langford, so Langford Lemeyer, and a woman named joan farr, f a r r who is running for u s. Senate in Oklahoma and in Kansas this year. So she lost this race. She somehow received twenty thousand votes here. but she has another chance. In about a month, the first week in August is the Kansas primary.
1: I don't think I've ever heard of that.
0: No, to, I don't think I've ever her, heard of that. She's the first woman to ever done that. There, there have been some congressional candidates, like House candidates, that did it, but she says she's the first person for, who's done it for the Senate. There's, there's nothing in the law that prevents a person from running in more than one state. You can only serve in one you have to live in the state where you serve and so her response was like well if i win one of these i'll just live in that state and i don't anticipate she's going to win i did spend a long time on her website the other day and it is interesting to say the least uh, it was very interesting <laughs> <laughs> just i right. i guess
1: you need to post in the show notes <laughs> yeah yeah
0: there, i don't want to give her a lot of credit but there was you know there were her thoughts on how 5g caused covid And now COVID was created so that to justify absentee voting. And that was done to ensure to keep Trump out of office. But that was the only reference to Trump on the whole website. But there was a lot of stuff about lawsuits and how she doesn't think we need law, don't need attorneys. And, but somehow she as not a lawyer has taken 12 cases to the Supreme court, but the court refused to hear them. It was all, it was a lot. It was. that. That is a
1: lot. Um, And thankful that. Um, it's, it's scary that 20,000 people supported that, but also in the grand scheme of things, 20,000 isn't a lot in that race. So thankfully, yeah, And there
0: may have been folks who just like knew Langford, knew Lehmire and said, I don't like these guys. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Or I happened to drive by and I saw a far sign and Mm -hmm. I just picked that, you know, uh, in fact, I was sitting in a church and I cringed when I heard the statement, but, um, this pastor said, you know, he was saying, everybody needs to go vote. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And then the minister goes, you know, sometimes I just get to the the ballot box and I just flip a coin, but you know, I'm still going to show up to vote. And I was like, oh, oh, you're almost (laughs) there. (laughs) But there really are some people who may see a race and they're like, I don't know. So I'm just going to, and that could be some of those 20,000 votes. So thanks Andy for uh, helping to give some benefit of the doubt that maybe if they would have known that those are maybe some of her belief systems, they may have made a different choice or Oof, maybe left man. it blank or whatever. But
0: yep. <laughs> um on for the other Senate US Senate race, this is the race to replace Jim Inhofe.
1: I think what as, we expected to happen happened in that race.
0: Yeah, say so as I think as expected, Mark Wayne Mullen uh, came out ahead, but again didn't get more than 50%. So he too has a well, runoff.
1: But I will say to achieve, I I believe it was like, what, 45% of the vote in that race?
0: 43, yeah.
1: 43, that's significant in a race that has several people. So if that was just like a three person or three, maybe four person race, then that would be understandable of not, I mean, I would expect to get closer to that 50% plus one. But the, what there were like at least six or seven. So Scott Pruitt didn't perform yeah. as well as I thought he was going to perform. Um, Nathan Dom, also again to so the conversation about that extremism, he did not get a significant number of votes. I don't know if he cracked even above ten percent.
0: Yeah, he got twelve uh, percent. He was 12, third.
1: 12, so third, okay, so twelve yeah. percent. So um, so yeah, like I think it's him getting forty-three percent of the vote. Mark Wayne Mullen for this race that had several people is telling that there's momentum building for him in that runoff.
0: Yeah. So it'll be interesting. Um, so the runoff will be between Mark Wayne Mullen and TW Shannon.
1: Cause TW only got what, like 15% of the vote?
0: 17, yeah. Like 17, 15, 17, yeah. Yeah.
1: It was it was such it was less than a fifth of the vote. So and that's what got him to the runoff. So I think it's really significant and telling of the strength of Mark Wayne Mullen's candidacy and likelihood of being the Republican candidate.
0: Yeah, no, that's a big deal. I mean, out of, there are 13 candidates in the race. And so to get almost half out of 13 candidates is a, is a huge deal. I think that bodes well for him. I wonder how, I'm really curious how T.W. Shannon feels about that. Um, that would be humbling, I think to say the least.
1: Well, no, I, it might be deja vu because remember when he ran against oh, Lankford right. for US Senate, Langford got 70% of the vote and he got 30%, right? And so this could be telling that the tides could, you know, the, the outcome could be very similar to what he faced in, was that
0: 2018? Could be.
1: Or was that 2016? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 14, maybe. 14, 14, okay. Ooh, yeah. so long I mean, ago. This, but, this, <laughs> way know,
0: back when. It may be the sign to, to Mr. Shannon that politics is, Maybe it's political careers over, right? Like it's a losing once is hard enough, but losing twice on this race is difficult. Now there's other options, but it is significant.
1: Well, and I think even our conversation about extremism, right? I think Oklahomans are showing that they want a, and I won't even say Oklahomans. I will say in the makeup of who is advancing in these larger races in the conservative races, they're wanting someone who's not tied to extremism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? We're seeing, especially with like the Roe v. Wade uh, situation. I think there was a lot of people who didn't think that that was going to happen as soon as it yeah. did. You know what I mean? And so I think people see the writings of the wall of how dangerous the rhetoric can be, how far we can move to where our belief system of, of people having rights can be suppressed even on the belief systems of that people on the right have, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, I, I, I I don't think that like Oklahomans want extremism.
0: (laughs) I hope you're right. I mean, we'll find out in November, but I, am—that's
1: that's true. I
0: I want to believe that's true. Um, The problem is I think I, so I think the problem is that most Oklahomans do not want extremism. They want reasonable, moderate, you know, center-right politics, right? Fiscally conservative, maybe socially liberal-ish. The problem is that most folks don't vote, right? That's if, a great point. If turnout was higher, right? If we had 70% turnout, 80%, I think we would have a very dramatically different political landscape in Oklahoma. And that's that's honestly what I think a lot of us are working towards, right?
1: That That is true. But also the even the infrastructure piece that would have to change as well to ensure that that 70 to 80% turnout meant something, right? So if we still have straight ticket voting, if we still have, you know, some of, you know, in in this closed primary system, those things are barriers to ensuring that people's vote feels meaningful to them, that they can see that their vote has value. So I think you raise a great point about um, what elections could look like if we were to boost turnout, but also what could happen if, some of those structural barriers were alleviated. Um, would we see a different Oklahoma? Like, will we see mm-hmm. different candidates, or will we see will we hear different rhetoric on the TV? Right, like that is that is interesting.
0: That's interesting. So, on the congressional race, races um, for CD three, four, and five, the incumbents won easily. That's Frank Lucas, Tom Cole, and Stephanie Bice.
1: As expected.
0: Yeah, that was expected cd one kevin hearn seat um he didn't have a challenger so that wasn't on the ballot for the primary for republicans and then cd two was the seat currently held by mark wayne mullen that's obviously he's vacating and as you mentioned earlier a wide open field of uh roughly 14 candidates um i will correct you earlier john bennett did better than you think he got 11 percent, which puts him in ding, 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 like
1: fourth place i think okay um,
0: so well, but then
1: again, there's a lot a of people who had no name ID that were running in that race. I yeah, well, maybe they had name ID in 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 their community, but in the larger conversation of of those who have been engaged in the political space, you would think he would fare differently and get a little bit more of the vote. But
0: yeah, I mean, you would think, I mean, and honestly, the the two guys who finished. Uh, first and second, Avery Fricks. former
1: lawmakers or current yeah. lawmakers. I'd say yeah. with Avery Frick's a current lawmaker, Burkina former. So yeah,
0: but I mean, I I recognize Frick's name. I didn't I didn't know. Is it Burkina? Burkina. Yep. He's a, he's
1: like a former lawmaker. Richard.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. and Marty Quinn, he's a lawmaker. Dustin Roberts. There's a lot of folks that ran in this. Um, so anyway, a runoff for that. So nobody got over 15 percent in this race. It was a very kind of flat field. So like. Avery Fricks got 14.7. Uh, Burkine got 13.7. You know, then you've got a 13%, 11, uh, almost 11. A pretty it was just high.
1: too saturated, right? If you yeah. have a number of people who have similar belief systems, they can cancel each other out, right? right.
0: <laughs> yeah. A lot so, of splitting going on there. So yeah. that's interesting. Um, well, and I
1: don't, I want to make sure we don't forget state treasurer because that was yeah, another so I was race. you if you want to
0: bring that up. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, um, Have we talked about this yet on the pod of one of the candidates
0: about David Hooten? I think we did, but I don't remember. It may have been a week that we skipped, but.
1: Well, uh, one of the candidates for state treasurer has been a little bit of heat um, because he serves as the uh, county clerk for Oklahoma County. And he had some controversy of saying inappropriate things to his female staff. Uh, and then some other controversies related to hiring campaign people and, and, a, and a number of other things that came out to where he resigned as county clerk. So he came in fourth in that race, I believe, for a state treasurer. And so we have um, current um, state representative Todd Russ, who received 49 percent of that vote, um, and the current Oklahoma Tax Commission chairman, Jack. Uh, Clark Jolly um, advancing to be our next state treasurer. So, yeah. that's And the winner that was, of that will face a libertarian candidate as well as um, a democratic candidate as well. So, yeah. What, you know
0: what I would love to have? is like a whole wall. That's like a March madness style bracket situation where you can like, maybe, maybe it's more than one wall, but you have all of the legislative races and the statewide races and the congressional races with the candidates on, you know, all the candidates from various sides kind of arrows going in so I can write in the winners. This is like how I used to do March Madness in college. We would just print off brackets and tape them to the wall at my friend's house. So we could highlight winners and tally up our scores.
1: I'm going to say it on the pod. So hopefully it can be true. If things continue to recover and, you know, we get in a place where people feel comfortable gathering in, maybe we have a live, Podcast on election night in the next election, um, where we have that big marquee set up and we're writing things out, and that was I think that'd be fun.
0: Well, Bailey, I'll say it. I I I don't know if I've referenced it on here or not, but we are already scheduled. It is on the books. Uh, I've put down a deposit at the Tower Theater for us to have the election night show, uh, like we did in 2018. So I'm hoping that uh, I mean the Tower has pretty reasonable, you know, um, guidelines for COVID precautions. We'll obviously be monitoring things. It'll be November. Hopefully by then, most of us will be eligible for another booster, my fourth shot, right? Um, My daughter got her first booster this week. um,
1: Oh, yes, because that's another important thing to lift. that um, FDA has approved uh, those who are six months old and older Mm -hmm. can now receive the COVID vaccine.
0: So yeah. nearly so, all
1: of our population can can get vaccinated.
0: Wouldn't that be nice? Although, I mean, it's so tough because vaccination is still important. It definitely helps prevent severe disease. Um, in some cases, you know, depending on how long it's been, it may not provide as much protection against having it. I mean, I, I'm sure like you have had a ton of friends that have had it in the last few weeks. Some of them have had it quite seriously, even folks my age. Um, I have a colleague in another state that her and her husband and their son had it and they had, they're all vaccinated and had a pretty difficult course. And she, she said, we were really glad that we were vaccinated because if it was this bad with the vaccine, it could have been way worse. And you don't always know. So
1: absolutely. I mean, cause people forget that the vaccine is not supposed to be a cure. It's supposed to keep you from dying and suffering.
0: <laughs> That's right. Which is a big deal. So, it's, and who knows, yesterday. maybe by then we'll have a cure or maybe it'll go yeah. away. Anyway, listeners, mark your calendar. On Tuesday, November eighth, put election day. Go vote, and then at uh, market six PM, the election night show at the Tower Theater in Oklahoma City. I uh, I've already started ordering supplies for this event, like decor, uh, outfits. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. It was a lot of fun. We had about seven hundred people that came in twenty eighteen, and if you are unfamiliar listeners it's it's like the tonight show right it's like a a late night talk show but it's with oklahoma people and it's about uh, the elections we'll have live election results and we'll have guests we'll have live music food drinks you know all all that stuff very fun in fact in 2018 joy hoffmeister came early and and gave our top 10 list as a nod to David Letterman, who's my favorite uh, late-night talk show host. So uh, I don't. I I assume she'll be busy <laughs> this year, but yeah. um, we can uh, we can always dream. All right. Well, uh, do you want to talk about some of the state legislative races real quick? Absolutely. And we'll hit, uh, the food security news.
1: Sure. Yes. So there were um, seventeen incumbents this year um, who were able to retain their seats. Um, There was an active C4 effort, particularly from um, the school of choice crowd, who was challenging some incumbents. Like, for example, Representative Rhonda Baker um, is regarded as uh, a person who's strong on public education as a former teacher. Um, And there was an effort this session to move voucher legislation that would take monies that are public dollars and fund private schools, where as the advocates for that would say to have the dollars follow the student, right? Um, And we saw pushback of that, especially on the House side. And so with that came essentially retaliation. And so she won her seat just barely over the 50% mark, right? So almost 51%. Um, but a lot of the the tight races of incumbents um, that were unusual were tied often to that school choice effort to try to unseat certain candidates. There were There were candidates who were targeted, I'll say that. Um, uh, we had two incumbents that did lose their seats, um, Representative Wendy Steerman and representative Logan Phillips. Now, I will say on represent Logan Phillips, there will definitely be a loss on um, the energy he brought and the expertise on um, modernizing Oklahoma on broadband and issues related to um, expanding uh, technology access across the state. Right. Um, and getting there are places in Oklahoma that do not have Internet in 2020 too. It's crazy. Oh, and then also, yes, uh, Senator Merrick lost his race as well. So there were three incumbents. I misspoke on that. Um, and so...
0: And then several more that have to go to runoff still, like uh, Darcy Yek, he's got a runoff. Yes. Uh, there's a few others that it, it's not... Um, I mean, on the whole, it is still better to be an incumbent because we draw districts to favor incumbents, and we know that in Oklahoma incumbents win at a rate of like ninety-one percent. Yes, but some of these are are notable that they lost because they were attacked for having pro Oklahoma, you know, voting histories and uh, and those outside money groups, right? Some yes. national money coming in and and knocking them out.
1: Yes, and there was even some controversy about OCPA attacking candidates to the point where. Um, Representative Moore and his wife filed a restraining order against employees of that organization, and so um, there was some contentiousness in this um, House and Senate races in particular. So, um, so there were there will be some um, lawmakers who will, who will be going to the runoff. Another notable um, House race that I, I'll lift is um, uh, House District Forty Four which uh, Representative Virgin will be terming out of. Um, and that was, um, Deck was the winner of that race. So yeah. he likely will be the person who uh, secedes uh, Representative Virgin in that yep. district.
0: So. Yeah, we didn't talk a lot about some of the Democratic races. And, and aside from the beginning saying this could be one of the reasons that Democratic uh, turnout was so low is that people didn't have as much to vote for. I mean, certainly there's not even a Democrat running in every district, as there are Republicans, and so there's less incentive for some folks to go vote. However, every Democrat and independent voter could vote in some of those top of the ticket statewide yes. races, like senator, uh, including um, the 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 race for the Democratic nominee for Inhofe's seat um, that is also going to a runoff. Um, there were five, six candidates. And Madison Horn came in with the highest of 37%, second place is uh, Jason Bollinger. So they will head to a runoff in August. Uh, And then the winner of that will face um, the winner of Mark Wayne Mullen or T.W. Shannon. And then um, everybody else, I think, was by and large expected, right? Senator Young, George Young retained his seat. Um, by a significant margin. Mm-hmm, yeah, Representative Mari Turner uh, retained their seat. Um, I, the ones, uh, Vicky Bahina won the race for DA for Oklahoma County. That was a and pretty- on the
1: Republican side, Kevin Calvey nearly he was very very close to getting fifty percent plus one of the vote to secure. Yeah. The Republican nomination. He has, he was 49.97 like, or something like that. And so he'll go to a runoff for um, the Republican nomination.
0: Yeah, that'll be interesting. And I, from what I understand, Calvi and his runoff opponent, um, Guy, Geiger is the last name? I yes. forget the first name, but I guess they don't like each other. Like it's a pretty, uh, it's personal already. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out between now and August. Calvi's got a ton of money, um, and and probably energy behind him. But I think there's a growing anti-Kelvy sentiment in that part of uh, of the county. So we'll see.
1: And on the Democratic side to secede him um for Commissioner one, um Cappy Cummings yeah. won the the Democratic seat. That's um right. and I'll have to look up who the Republican that secured the seat because he did uh, achieve the 50% plus one. So we know who will be running in November in it's, those two races. Yeah,
0: Miles Davidson.
1: Miles he's Davidson, that's what it is, yeah.
0: Now he's been a deputy commissioner for a long time. Yes. So anyway, the, uh, you know, the what was once foggy outlook for November is starting to clear some. So we're starting to see what this might look like and where these lines will shape up. I hope, I, I hope that there's more energy by the time we get to November, I had a call um, today with a a colleague here who is running some of these campaigns. And he said, he's like, it just feels like everyone is like beat down right on the heels of the Supreme court rulings, you know, really low turnout, just everyone feels tired. And so we really, our call was supposed to be more strategic and kind of giving updates, but it ended up being a bit of a, you know, a bit of a therapeutic session, I think, for both of us to talk through, like, well, how are we feeling, right? If we do this for a living, and we work in this area, how do we feel? And then try to extrapolate, well, how does just a regular rank and file person feel out there, right? Like, you know, my my mom was my longtime canary in the coal mine, right? I would check with her and see how she was feeling, because she seemed to often, her sentiment was in line with public sentiment. Uh, and so I need to, check out with my, my dad and my sister and, you know, maybe a few other folks that, that are aware of this stuff, but don't, you know, aren't spending all day texting with each other about it, right? right. But I think, you know, all the commercials, heck, even, uh, even Mayor Holt, like tweeted about how bad the commercials have been this cycle and how, you know, overwhelming and depressing. And so well,
1: we'll- and I think over time, um, we'll continue to sadly see that trend. I think 2016 changed the landscape of political communication. Um, We have a, a rise of what people call like political outsiders. Like they, you know, aren't career politicians and they're reshaping what it means to work in these spaces, the rhetoric that's being used, right? um the way that government functions like there's been some shifts in a lot of these different areas since 2016. and i do wonder how much of that is also causing the burnout of people and even the sentiment there are a lot of people that i've heard from who say you know why bother oklahoma is just a red state why bother even though we've had a oklahoma has only been ran by Republicans like in the past like 15 years. So it like in Oklahoma's 100 year history, like this is still fairly new, but it feels like forever for a lot of people. And I mean, maybe when you look at ideology, you know, there's always been populism and in, in conservativeness mixed up, you know, over time. But I mean, the, the, the Republican leadership now is is still, you know, fairly fresh. But also, like, um, you know, the idea of this, uh, of of the different changes that have been been happening have have made people feel like, oh, why bother? Even though we've had, like, Medicaid expansion, right? We just hit the one-year anniversary of Oklahoma expanding Medicaid, right? 300,000 Oklahomans have health coverage that they wouldn't have had before, right? We were able to pass medical marijuana, right, for the state. We were able to pass, you know, some significant criminal justice reform that would decriminalize um, certain offenses, right? Like there have been some significant things done in the state, yet there's still that sentiment of my voice doesn't matter. Things are going to be the way that they are. And so that is going to be a long-term nut to crack, right, of of how do you re-inspire people to feel like there's hope, that there's a chance that the pendulum can swing, you know, and not even just like, I'm not talking about swing for Democrats to control, but bringing that balance back, right, to where um, there isn't a super majority to the point of where one party has complete control and doesn't even have to talk to the other side. Right. Right. You know, like how do you bring back that pendulum of balance to where, um, that reduces that rhetoric? You know, I, I I would think because then people would have to work together to get things done. And so, um, that is true, Andy, that there is this, the sentiment that exists, even though a lot of this is recent (laughs) and we've made some significant progress, right. As a quote unquote red state.
0: That's exactly right. And I think in terms of raw numbers, right, like the change is a lot closer than people think in Oklahoma, where it's not like California, it's not like, you know, Seattle, it's not like New York, it's not even like uh, Georgia or Alabama, like the, the ability, the chance of us making change is not, you know, hundreds of thousands of voters, we can make notable significant change by registering and turning out 10,000, 20,000 voters, which is a lot of people. But if we get together and like knock doors and make phone calls and do the work that we've seen in other States, we can do it. Right. I mean, a, te- a team of 10 people, vol- 10 volunteers making calls for a couple hours a night can usually call through 30 to 50 calls a night. Right. So that's, um, or excuse me, like a hundred calls. So you can get, you can get, you know, thousands of phone calls made. Like I have, I have a colleague that's doing this. He's there. 6,000 calls a week, right? Ding, 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 ding. Imagine, right? If we do this week after week, month after month, year after year, we're going to get there. But the other side is doing some work too.
1: And Andy, to that point, even looking at it as a longing, right? And not like the end being this one election or this one race, right? um the the more work we do over time and the continuous work helps us to move the direction that we want to see as a country or as a state frankly right and i think that's that's part of it is like not looking at a single outcome as the end all right yeah. like the end all is not the reversal of roe v. Wade <laughs> the end all is not um um you know, who is support uh, appointed on the Supreme Court? Because there's opportunities to change those things over time if we put in the work, as you're mentioning.
0: Yeah. Well, and I just think, the to me, the end all is representation and policy that reflects the values of Oklahomans, right? And of each district, you know, of the state as a whole. And I don't think that's the case right now. And we see that in the polling. We see that in the responses to actions from elected officials now. Um, and, and, and as you said, I think the, the decrease in turnout is one of the, one of the indicators, right? That, that politicians in our state in many cases are out of step with, with where Oklahoma's want it to be. And we have two options, right? We can tune out or we can tune in. And I listeners, as I do every week, I am pleading with you to tune in, right? Take this weekend, You know, take the next couple of weeks, regroup, rest, whatever you could tune out for a little bit. I mean, I got to do that. Like I haven't listened to NPR um, or really any news in a couple of weeks. I've cut way back on my Twitter consumption because it was bad for my mental health, right? Try to go outside more, go to the, you know, city pool, see friends, mow the yard, garden, whatever it is, spend time with my family, woodworking, whatever it is that fills your cup, do it, but then come back, man, because... From July through November, we need to hit it and hit it hard, and we will see results. And those results, on their own, will be motivating. And we can do it, right? We can't wait I for someone that, to help Andy. us. It is us. We are the people we are waiting for. We can do yes. it. Yes, hundred percent. On that um, note, let's uh, let's end on a positive, a more positive note. Tell us about uh, what's happening in Congress with uh, with food security.
1: Yes. So this is a rare time where Congress took action on something during a campaign season. So typically things are a lot slower on Capitol Hill um, right after, I'd say, March, April, as many uh, candidates on the right and the left. So this is not even a partisan. This is um, just Congress. Right. That people are going back to their home districts to campaign um, to prepare for. Not only the primaries that have just happened, but preparing for the general elections. And so not a lot of significant policy excuse me policy changes typically happening during this time. Um, so during the pandemic, um, one of the key uh, things that the federal government did um, to help us feed children was providing flexibilities, on the child nutrition programs that existed. So we had programs that would feed kids in the summer. Um, We have programs that feed kids during the school year and they have strict requirements of how you have to operate, right? The types of food that you have to feed to kids, um, the settings that the kids are in, the uh, curriculum that you're providing for enrichment, right? You have to do all of these things in order to be reimbursed for those meals, right? And so during a global pandemic, you can't bring kids into a congregate meal setting safely, right, to feed them. And one of the requirements was that kids had to be in like a congregate meal setting and they had to eat their food right there. So if they were to leave, you know, if they ate like their chicken nuggets and their uh, mashed potatoes, but they want to take their apple with them, they wouldn't be able to under the way that the rules are currently set up. But the federal government waived a lot of things to allow states to have more flexibility in feeding kids, right? Um, from the meal time waivers um, to allowing el- area eligibility to ensuring that, like, that kid doesn't have to sit there to eat the food in order to receive that meal, right? Because their parent or, you know, guardian can come get the meals to feed the kids, and right? And we were able to feed a lot more children across this country because of those flexibilities put in place. Well, they were set to expire June 30th. And that caused a lot of confusion of what the mill providers, like in the school settings and in the um, after-school settings and all those places of what they would be able to do. Because there were so many that said, if I have to go back to those old rules and the way that we did things, then I won't be able to do it. I won't be able to um, meet the needs to be able to feed those kids. And so we were at risk of losing a lot of meal providers if we didn't allow those flexibilities to continue on. Well, Congress took up legislation called the Keep Kids Fed Act of 2022 and was led by um, the ranking member and the chairman of the Labor and Ed Committee of the House because that's the, the committee that child nutrition legislation goes under. And the Agriculture Committee um, the chairman and the ranking member of the Senate, because that's where that legislation goes through on the Senate side. So with those four leaders on like one accord and pushing that through um, gave it the push that it needed to extend um, some of those flexibilities that were put in place to feed children. Um, and so a few of the things that the bill did was it extended the nationwide flexibilities to summer mills through September. Um, it provided schools with additional temporary reimbursements. Um, it provided family daycare homes with higher temporary reimbursement rates um, and equipped the USDA with additional flexibilities to support more schools. And so a lot of the um, waivers were extended through June 30th of 2023. So that gives um, more mill providers um, the support and relief they need to continue meeting the need, because we know that the pandemic is not over and um, that need continues to remain to make sure that kids are fed. And so this was a huge step of Congress um, stepping in at the ninth hour, but they stepped in and they made it happen. And so we're grateful for even our congressional delegation of making sure that made it over to the finish line.
0: All right. That is good news. Kids having enough food is always good news as far as I'm concerned. All right, well, uh, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Bailey, thank you for being here today.
1: Andy, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Listeners, thank you for being here today. I will also acknowledge that today, uh, this is uh, Friday, July 1st, is the 51st anniversary uh, of the signing of the 26th Amendment, which granted everyone over the age of 18 the right to vote. As they uh, said at Common Cause, we cannot take the right to vote for granted because as we learned in the last week, there are forces in this world interested in taking away our rights. And we uh, can't have that. Ain't nobody got time for that. All right, listeners, uh, enjoy your weekend. Happy birthday, America. Looking forward to some parades, um, some pool time, and perhaps, uh, you know, some, uh, some kind of explosive devices, um, and, you know, friendly confetti filled or, you know, light filled, uh, explosive devices. And, uh, hope to hope to see many of you out there lining the streets at some of our uh, our fun parades. In the meantime, get some rest. Have a good week and uh, and find new ways to be to show up uh, next week because as we know, decisions are made by those who show up.